Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The world of politics is straight taking a strange turn overnight as Tory leader Boris Johnson has been accused of appeasing socialists by doing away with some cuts to corporation tax while Labour's Jeremy Corbyn spent much time yesterday convincing the CBI that it was nonsense to suggest that he was anti-business. Tonight they will go head-to-head in the first TB debate of the election campaign and the big question is will it change the way you're thinking of voting? Yesterday Joe Swinson and Nicola Sturgeon lost their legal challenge to join in so be a good old-fashioned prize fight with only one winner. And already Boris Johnson has written a letter to Jeremy Corbyn outlining some of the questions that he's going to ask him. He's going to attempt to pin him down on his own personal policy on the European Union, leaving it or staying in it, what he wants to do about freedom of movement, what he wants to do about a whole host of other things as well. We'll be bringing you all the news from it as it happens right here on Talk Radio. We're going to talk to Stuart Jackson very shortly, former MP uh, and former special advisor to David Davis, the Brexit secretary as well. Oh, Three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Later on today, we'll hear from Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell, who will take Labour back to its roots by attacking a one hundred billion pound tax giveaway to billionaires, as they're calling it. And the Green Party will be vowing to spend a hundred billion pounds of their own on saving the planet. Where did all this money come from? And can we have any of it, please? 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, back at Buckingham Palace, Prince Andrew's still in hiding after his horrendous interview on the BBC on Saturday night. The front pages are still full of stories of city backers abandoning him and yet more women coming forward to condemn his friendship uh, with paedophile Jeffrey Epstein. There's lots more going on, of course, and we want to hear from you because you are the people who matter in this election campaign. You are the people who are going to elect the next government of this great nation. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It's Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So I don't think there's an issue in British modern British politics which has had more speedy kind of at- attachment, that's had more speedy kind of um, adoption than the green issues. You know, we know all about Greta Thunberg, who's currently on her way back across the Atlantic on another ship uh, from the one that she went on some weeks ago to go to the uh, United Nations. She worked out that she couldn't get to Santiago, so she's come back to go to Madrid. Everybody talks about green issues. Everybody tries to recycle. Everybody tries to drive uh, less. Everybody tries to fly less. People tell us all the time uh, that we are one of the greenest countries in the entire world. And yet... We keep being told that we're not doing enough. Let's talk to Amelia Womack, Deputy Leader of the Green Party. Amelia, very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I'm not being facetious when I say that people uh, in all parties have now adopted a very green agenda. I mean, you must feel a bit sort of peeved about that in a way. Not peeved. I mean, we are the originators, the instigators, and we've been there since the very beginning. And I think that it's been important that we've been promoting this for so many decades that has meant that it's become popular to other parties. I'd say that in terms of policies, though, the fact that we do have a blueprint on how to tackle the climate emergency, not because it's a bandwagon to jump on, but because we've been working on this for such a long time since the very beginnings of our party, means that we've got the credibility to take it forward. The credibility that means that we've delivered this in our councils. Let's not forget that it was a, a Green Party councillor who, uh, it, who in Bristol who first instigated the climate emergency uh, policies that have now cascaded across the country, even to Westminster itself. And that inspiration is making change, and it's change we so dramatically need. And what is it that you say about what you would do that is different from, say, the Labour Party and the Tory Party and the Lib Dems, who would all profess to be pretty green now? So, uh, to begin with, we really believe in communities being where the power is. So even things like our renewables policies about creating energy generations in community, which will give back to people, such as our community-owned uh, solar, wind, and, and other forms of micro-generation. But also, we don't support things like airport expansion. What we want is investment in railway infrastructure that means that flying isn't the cheapest option, and the e but, but instead the greenest options are the cheapest and the easiest options. We don't want to be investing in the £5 billion that currently is a government road building programme and instead make sure that we have better public transport. We want to be making sure that we insulate our homes, ensure that we are um, making all of these, these opportunities into future-proof jobs um, with a creation of 3 million jobs that will mean that we can tackle this. I mean, our borrowing figures um, are £100 billion of, of borrowing uh, to, to address this. It's because that's how much it costs. And uh, when a, a scientists have scrutinised those figures and scrutinised our plans, they've effectively said that this stands up to the test and this is a perfectly credible way of dealing with this. And it's, going to um, and it, it's vitally important that we, we decarbonise every single part of our society, not just the low-hanging fruit. What do you say to those um, scientists, and I admit that there are fewer of them than there are those who agree with you, who say that actually carbon is not the problem, that carbon is in fact the, sort of, uh, the, the stalk of life, if you like, that's, that carbon is produced by all manner of things around the globe, uh, and many of them are actually growing on the planet? <laughs> This isn't the time for that kind of debate. This isn't the time isn't to be saying this when we've got people who are flooded at the moment, their homes and their lives devastated as a result of what's clearly the effects of climate change and ecological, and ecological destruction. The climate emergency is at our door. There's not time for this debate. And I think this is why it's so important that we do get that people vote green because the reality is that when the UN says we've got just 11 years to tackle the climate emergency, that means that we've got to put clear policy in place in the next 18 months. And it's going to be Greens who can do that when elected to Parliament. And I think that when we look at the economy of this, if we don't work to direct that now, that's going to get even more expensive. But those kinds of expenses, like dealing with people's flood-destroyed uh, properties, are co aren't just uh, financial costs, but they've got other costs as well. Don't you think it's also down to the fact that uh, building has been done on floodplains, that planning has been inadequate uh, and the actual infrastructure has been woefully badly planned and that's partly why a lot of these places are flooding as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. Nail on the head with that because it's uh, obviously we are expecting more severe wet weather through storms and flooding, but it is that ecological change that is making that difference as well. And I think uh, working with, uh, I always get frustrated with during elections when politicians turn up in their wellies to flood struck places. So I've actually uh, done the some work on flooding just, across the, the, the ones that really just bought, right? Well, yeah, yeah um, exactly. I've um, done some work on flooding across the country, and it's actually by working with the entire catchment and the entire uh, uh, ec- ecology and environment around a river that you can actually really begin to slow the volumes and the speed of water moving through communities and ensure that we tackle that emergency, uh, sorry, that flood, that, the, the flooding. Um, and I think it's not about big concrete structures that cost, cost a lot and make the water move further down rivers. It's about how we actually address this using the tools that have been proven to work. No, quite. And also, um, what about the, uh, the, the sort of failures for, for, for all sorts of reasons um, in, in the, the planning of where people live as well? Because we've got huge swathes of this country where nobody lives and then huge other parts of it where there's li- literally too many people living. What have you got to say about that? Well, I think it's there are many issues at um, stake here. And even when you look at um, job creation in the last uh, 10 years, of the 2 million jobs that have been created, 35% of them have been in London. And that creates huge pressures um, on, on our, our cities in general, where, where this, this investment's been taken place. But I think that what's important is that we celebrate our rural communities for being rural communities and celebrate our cities as cities and make sure that... I, it's, I don't think that it's about moving people into one or the other. It's about making sure there's genuine support across the board in all of these communities and that none get forgotten. What about the farming communities? What's your policy on farming? So we want to, I mean, essentially farmers are custodians of our environment. So we want to support a transition for farmers um, into uh, effectively more environmentally friendly practices. It's clear at the moment that the role of pesticides, for example, are affecting our ecological systems. Well, we all know the effects that it's having on on things like bees and that are fundamental to our our food and farming industries. So making sure that we support farmers into a, a transition that is lower carbon, that is making sure that we tackle a lot of these um, these impacts that we're having through our farming industry. I think it's very easy to forget that all of our food exists because of a a top layer of of soil and the fact that it rains here and uh, we need to be working with farmers to protect that. I've got a question here from uh, one of our listeners who's asking if a Green candidate isn't standing in a constituency because of the Remain Alliance, how can people vote for the Green Party if that's the case? Well, we've stood in as many seats as we can. We've stood in more seats than we have done in the last election. Um, we, I think that fundamentally people, wherever they live, should vote for what they believe in. And at the moment, what I see is uh, people seeing that it's the green vote that is the vote that they, that they do believe in. I, wouldn't, uh, I think that we've been standing up for these issues and for, the, for those people who are in those seats, then politics is all about priorities. And uh, I think uh, you need to, to, to work out what you want to do. So but, are you I mean, saying a vote, is a vote for Remain more important than a vote for the environment then? No, I said that people should vote for what they believe in. And what I see now is, I mean, there's no such thing as safe seats right now, only safe voters. And when I knock on doors, there seems to be no such thing as a safe voter as people become increasingly disillusioned with the big parties. And I think that when you look at our policies as the Green Party, whether that's making sure that we tackle the climate emergency, make sure we're providing social justice, making sure that we uh, uh, tackle the inequality, rising inequalities as a result of austerity that have torn apart the very fabric of our communities, um, whether that is 
saying yes to Europe and giving people the people's vote. Whatever your priorities are, vote for that. Um, but I feel that as a party, our policies that have stood up to scrutiny uh, time after time uh, I hope are, should, are the policies that I know many people are seeing as the policies for the future that are fit for 2019 and fit for the issues that we face today. And what would you say to people who, for example, drive for a living, like taxi drivers, like van drivers, like lorry drivers, people who, in order to make enough money to feed their family, have to drive around in a car or a van or a lorry what should they do so or what would you have them do yeah so in terms of our policies uh or we want to encourage as many people to move uh to, to use public transport and that actually benefits those who drive for a living if you are dri driving um goods for example the roads are congested due to the number of cars that could be people using other journeys so actually in trying to, to take people off the roads and ensure that we are, they are travelling using trains, trams, um, but coaches and buses is actually a benefit to the congestion that we currently see on our roads. So you wouldn't penalise people who drive those vehicles? It's not about penalising. I mean, there's, uh, we, we need to be addressing air quality. We need to yeah, be addressing carbon emissions. Yeah, but that's what I'm emissions. asking you. So would you yeah. be penalising people who drive taxis and vans and buses and coaches and, and lorries? No, absolutely not. It's about a transition and it's about making the greenest option, the cheapest and easiest option for everybody. And uh, that will be uh, better support in electric vehicles, for example. But in the meantime, we appreciate that those vehicles on the road, um, we're not going to be penalising those people. And if we, uh, that some of that, if, if we get to a point where we, we are looking at uh, those current vehicles, there'd be support in moving to something like electric. But our focus really is on those tra journeys that are people travelling to work, that are people taking journeys that they simply don't have to take by car um, and could be taken in other ways and creating a tr public transport system that is fit for that. I mean, you see, if you look at London, for example, um, as a result of, of a century of investment into public transport, it's cleared up the roads in a way that makes would mean that all of those, if all those journeys were going by car, the, the whole of London would be gridlocked. And that's, The whole of London um, is gridlocked. <laughs> <laughs> well... You can, you can imagine how much worse it would be if there hadn't been investment in the underground, in buses and in cycling even. The rise of cyclists in London just shows that people are want to take other forms of transport. And well, I, think, I, think, uh, I think, to be honest, the, the, the policies have worked because people are cycling now because it's actually quicker to cycle than it is to get in a car because the cycle lanes take up as much space as the car lanes. But, Amelia, listen, we've got to run, I'm sorry to say, uh, because we've got to got we've got to get lots more in before the end of the show. Amelia Womack, Deputy Leader of the Green Party, uh, she's also a candidate for Newport West, and these are the other candidates in Newport West. Matthew Evans for the Conservative Party, Ruth Jones for the Labour Party, Ryan Jones for the Liberal Democrats, Jonathan Clark, Plaid Cymru and Cameron Owen Edwards from the Brexit party. This is Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Oh. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. You know what to do. Matthew Wright coming up at 1 o'clock. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, how about this from Joe? Says, if someone presents themselves to an A&E with a cold or toothache symptoms, as, I, as I've witnessed for myself on a number of occasions, why don't they just turn them away? We all know the NHS is ripped off for paracetamols for ages and now wasting money for non-emergencies being triaged and wasting a doctor's time, especially as in the same hospital there is an out-of-hours GP service where an appointment can be made by the 111 service. Well, I think a lot of people 
people are very, very concerned about that. Uh, how about this on the uh, Labour broadband front? Nick says, so I remortgaged my house and borrowed thousands to start a business, spent many years, seven days a week, building it up, only to be told by Labour that I must give 10% of it to someone I've just employed. Labour say they are the party of business. What an absolute joke. Uh, and Laura says, your last guest just supported Labour's broadband policy, saying that our economy needs every part of the UK working at maximum productivity. Has he forgotten that if any productivity gains are achieved, Labour will use them to fund a four-day week, not to help the economy? They have said, of course, that they will do that uh, because they want everybody to not have to uh, live to work. Um, or work to live. I can't remember which way around they do. Uh, I, whichever way they want to do it, they don't want people to work more than four days a week, which, of course, wouldn't work out very well for a lot of businesses. One of them, of course, would be uh, the restaurant business. We're going to talk to Gennaro Contaldo now uh, about soup because, believe it or not, not only is soup a wonderful thing to make, a wonderful thing to eat, it could also be really, really good for you as well. Gennaro, very good uh, morning to you. Good morning. Yes, it is indeed. Special today in London is cold day. Why don't you make a lovely soup? Uh, you know, I made a wonderful soup last night, Gennaro. I put just very simple stuff in it. You know, an onion, uh, some carrots, some green beans, some potatoes, uh, a little bit of vegetable stock, and um, away you go. Some some um, some cumin seeds, a little bit of oregano. It was lovely. I, you are the best. There is a million soups all over the world. The world is united through the soups. You know, soup is good, vegetable soup. This time of the year, grab all the vegetables you can find. You make a massive soup, which you call a minestrone. You can even make a lovely stracciatella. Stracciatella with chicken and just the yolk of eggs. And hardly anything, two ingredients, mix all together, you can drink. Also, when children don't want to eat because they're two big pieces of, or perhaps they can see the cauliflower, or perhaps they can see the broccoli, or perhaps they see the onions. Mash it all up. Give it to the children. They love it. Soup is good for you. It really is. It's also really easy to make. You know, I was, when I was a kid, my mother, who was not a very good cook, used to cook soup every single night, right? And it was in a pressure cooker, and those are coming back, I'm told, right? And she just used to put a load of barley, a load of uh, a little bit of bacon sometimes, um, a load of vegetables, even turnips and all that sort of thing, root vegetables that we hated, put it all into this vegetable soup, and it was delicious. It is delicious. Soup is good. Even in the summer, when it's very, very hot, you can have a soup. Look, I know the tomato basil soups, you mash it all up, you sieve, and you have a fantastic soup. But not just that, all the roots, vegetable, which this time of the year, they're really good. Mash it all up, cut them inside, make lovely broth. You can do it with chicken, or you can do chicken with the most loved soup, I find out. Uh, and also you can do all the kind of a vegetable. And then put a little bit of pastina inside. You know, in Italy, one particular soup which united Italy together, zuppa di fagioli, pasta and beans. Yeah, beans, I love that. And it's good. Yeah, what about fish soup? Well, why not? Fish soup is good. There's nothing wrong at all. Make sure the fish is extremely, extremely fresh. And then you make a lovely fish soup. What do you do? You mix all the crustacean as well, all yeah. the vegetables, things, all together. And then you remove the shells and then you have a fantastic fish soup just inside. Toast it or grill a lovely slice of bread and just put them on top. Enjoy. It is amazing. Now, but listen, we're very enthusiastic about this soup, right? But not just is it, it tastes good and is it good for you, but apparently, according to a study uh, in Imperial College, it's also good for keeping away diseases like even malaria. 
you can, if you eat cabbage soup, apparently, you, you can ward off malaria. I didn't know anything about kicks malaria, but it makes me very happy this way. I am a cook and I know something now is good. But one thing I know for sure, you know, soup makes you good. Can you imagine you don't feel well, you've got a little bit of fever, you know, you don't want to eat it, your mum comes along, your lover, anybody else, and make a lovely soup. It can be even with a little rice, with a little bit of stock inside, and you will enjoy it as well. But I am a cook. Do you know what I do? My profession is to make people happy through my cooking. Yes. And that is one of my happiness is to cook and make soup. In England, many times, a long time ago, I read an English book to say toast soup. I said, I want to have a look. What is about this toast soup? Toast yeah, they soup. Made it, toast soup. So, they made a sliced toast. They put them in a bowl and they put some water on top, uh -huh. hot water on top. The toast swallow is big and they give it that flavour of the toast. That's it. Toast. I've never heard anything so mad. I know. That's mad. I know. I was shocked. Crazy. But, but, you know, it's good. All right. Well, so, I'm going to give that, that a try. What about oxtail soup? That's good. Yes. Go off with oxtail soup. I love it. You know, when you make oxtail soup, then you <laughs> remove the oxtail inside, remove all the bones, and then put it back again inside of the liquid. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you know <laughs> oh, what about what about for people making the roast this weekend, right? You can take the chicken carcass, can't you, after you've finished with it, and put it in a bowl with a load of water, and put it in a pot rather, and boil it and make some chicken soup with it. Mike, are you gonna touch my job away from me? <laughs> because I can see you can really cook. Let me tell you something. I'll give you a recipe quickly. You know, when you actually do the turkey or Christmas, you know, you cooked your lovely turkeys or Christmas. There is quite a bit left on the bone. Yeah. What actually you do it? Just seal the carrots, and onions, and some celery. Just mash all those bones up with a bit of chicken inside, a turkey inside. Pour hot water on top and let it bubbling along. And then after a little while, you remove the bones and you have a fantastic after Christmas turkey soup. Christmas Come soup. On. You can call it Christmas soup. Brilliant. Come on, that, that is, that's marvellous. You know, with the meat, you see, the old day, I think they're still doing that. If you go to the butcher, you say, look, have you got any ribs or, you know, big ribs left and also other different carcass? No, you can make a lovely, uh, a beef, a strong beef soup. Nice. That is, and then, it's, again, anything, of, then when you actually boil it, you know, there is always little pizza pieces, not the fat, of the mix around the bones. You can actually move those pizza pieces and you let you put it back inside the liquid again. And that is a smashy. Or also, when actually you have a, a kind of a soup that you, there is too much of everything, scoop them all up, mash them all up, and put them inside the little ravioli. And then you cook with a little bit of butter and sage. Oh, my God. And there is no hand. Is uh, making soup is like a risotto. Yes. Now, did you see how many? Uh, did you see how many river in the world? They all run to the sea, and the sea says never enough. This is the way soup. You, because there's so many different. It's amazing. Uh, you've, amazing, you've, you've, amazing. You've made me very hungry. I have to say, Gennaro. Luckily, I've got some of that soup that I made last night. So when I go home this afternoon, I'm going to have some more of it. 
But don't you think it's great that naturally it's good for malaria? I didn't know that. Yeah, so now I'm not going to get malaria either, which is great. No, me too. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do now? My, okay, well, you're going to head off on holiday. Yes, you know, yeah, good. Let's not have any more injection of malaria. Yeah, that's it. So let's have a soup. Do you know what I'm going to do now? What? I'm going to make a chickpea soup. Chickpea soup, now you're talking. A chickpea soup. Put some chorizo in it. Well, let's do it. Why not? Huh? Fantastic. Fantastic. Gennaro, very, very well done. What an enthusiastic man about soup. Contaldo. Gennaro Contaldo. What a man. What a guy. What some great ideas there. Christmas soup, chickpea soup, cabbage soup, don't get malaria soup. Amazing. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. You're listening to Talk Radio. We are your election station, of course. We will be here through the night on election night, on uh, December the 12th, of course, going into Friday the 13th, when a new government hopefully will be formed so that actually something can happen. Who knows which way it's going to go? The big debate tonight between Jeremy Corbyn uh, and, of course, uh, Boris Johnson uh, is taking place on ITV. We'll be bringing you all of that live as it happens right here on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Mike in York. Hello, Mike. Hiya. Morning. Morning. beautiful day. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Lovely cold. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) gets the uh, the old things going, yeah. Well, we live yeah, in the yeah. northern European climes. It's supposed to be cold, you know. It's not supposed to be hot like it is in Spain. It's supposed to be, you know, cold and, and miserable. Stew and dumpling weather, Mike. And absolutely. I mean? Couldn't agree more. <laughs> now, what are you going to tell me? Well, this, this manif- these manifestos are going to be completely different to any other. In so much as now that they've brought the law lords in to make decisions on politics... Oh, yeah. This is a verbal contract. This is a verbal contract between the politicians and the people. Uh-huh. If, for instance, somebody says, well, we guarantee to um, nationalise the buses yeah. and pro- pro- provide a good bus service, then they must do it. They can't say when they're in because they've got votes from that promise that, um, you know, kind of, we didn't know what we were saying and we didn't know what we were promising. That no longer the case. The, now, a verbal contract, just like I was when I was self-employed, if I promised somebody yeah. it was verbal, then I was held to it by the law. But how is they that... Uh, you know how when you, can, when you do a bit of contract law and you say, right, the offer was made by the politicians, you yes. then accept that offer by voting for them, I suppose, right? Yes. Um, yep. And then normally there's supposed to be some kind of consideration as part of that contract, isn't it? I don't know what that would be. Well, that would be their uh, salaries. Okay. Yeah, paid for by the taxpayer. Okay, I'm I'm going with that. Okay, I like that. Um, you know, and uh, so we, we and, should and, sue them. You mean if they don't do it? Well, <laughs> what I can't understand is they're making promises that they can't. Yes, take. no, I, I'm with you. I like it. Julian Moore might be available then because, of course, if we've already left the European Union, you won't have anybody to uh, sue. Really. <laughs> 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 If <laughs> all the debates are done, the per- no more proroguing of Parliament, you know, I'll, I'll get him on the line for you. Can, can you imagine those 11 law lords? They're going to be very busy. They are. <laughs> They're not going to be passing any legislation about anything else. They'll just be talking about government all the time. It's a great call, though. I like that. Uh, deal, uh, if, the, if, the, if they break the deal with us, the covenant, uh, we sue them. Let's talk to Harry in Portsmouth. Hello, Harry. Oh, yes, Mike. Uh, I will talk about that Nicholas Cage business in a minute. Okay. Um, 
I'm just referring to, like, have we got some Ben letters printed off? You know, those letters that have got a space for the politicians to sign. Perhaps after yesterday's conversation on Grenfell Tower, on that uh, block in Manchester... The cladding, the Jew, yeah, right. Perhaps the journalists should be chasing every every candidate down the street saying, please sign this letter, which yeah. we know they don't want to, uh, to confirm that the first business of the new parliament will be within three months to have got a programme, never mind the... Uh, the green, uh, the green apprenticeship of labour. Yeah. A program to get every single one of these blocks sorted. Yes, a very good idea. I like the sound of that, Harry. We, we've got Highbury College down here, ten-storey block, two point nine million pound cladding bill. Which, at the moment, the fire brigade has said it's safe, and I assume that's because there's a concierge service. There's a okay. quote from an anonymous student says that they weren't told about the block and they lived in it. And they didn't know what about the cladding. No. But if the no fire, well, I mean, if, to be it. fair, though, Harry, if the fire service say it's safe, then you have to take their word for it, don't you? That's right. It's ACM cladding, which is the, it's the only one the government wants to give money out for at the moment, even though there's four other types. OK. But I assume it's only because there will be a concierge service and the full fire alarm system in place. Right, OK. But it's basically a block that should, has got a £2.9 million bill to be paid right. when they because of this situation. I know, it's a um, shocking state of affairs. What do you want to say about Nicholas Cage? Well, Nicholas Cage, um, you said he's playing himself as, you know, some sort of narcissist. Yes. Well, I'm thinking of, of, of someone who, who, who probably isn't, wouldn't be a narcissist. I can't quite remember the details because all these war films end up merging into one. But John Gregson uh -huh. was one of those actors who appeared in a lot of them black and white and even colour war films. Did he? And it appeared in one, and I don't know whether it was Arnhem or whatever, I can't quite remember, but back in about 2014, on another station, radio station, he gave an interview. It was about three years before he actually died. Right. And then when he died, you know they give a quick, um, a quick posthumous... Um, obituary. Yeah, obituary, that's it. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the, same, the same person who'd actually interviewed him on, on the, for the same programme three years previously mm. mentioned this, this John Gregson. And what it was, he, he was actually there in the Second World War. I think he was playing quite a high rank. And when he was cast in the film, he didn't even get to play himself. He was cast as, I think, three or four ranks lower, and he was probably about the fourth appearance part in the film. Oh, yeah. OK. So, so there, there's a part. He was actually the real person there, and when they came to make the film about it, the feature war film... He didn't even get the actual part. Ah, astonishing. Harry, thank you very much indeed. Uh, this is, of course, Talk Radio. Uh, we talk about all manner of things here. Uh, we're going to talk about soup in a little while. Uh, but keep your calls coming on the debate. Keep your calls coming on Nicolas Cage, if you wish, because uh, he is a man uh, who is doing what many people who are in the acting profession would love to do. He's starring as himself in a film about himself. Amazing, isn't it? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. 
Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, we're going to now talk about Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party and, of course, uh, the um, debate tonight, the first big television debate between Jeremy Corbyn uh, and the Prime Minister. Uh, I'm delighted to say, though, that John McDonnell is with us now. John, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks very much for joining us. Big question tonight from Boris Johnson to, uh, to your colleague Jeremy is going to be about uh, the European Union. He's going to ask him, supposedly, uh, if he personally wants to remain in the European Union or leave it. Um, do you think he's going to answer it? Yeah, so he'll set out Labour Party policy, which is basically when we go into government, we'll negotiate a new sensible and credible deal. And we'll put that before the British people as well as remain. And the British people will decide yeah. it. But what about his own opinion, though? Why won't he answer well, that? Well, we've got to wait and see what deal comes back from the European Union once we've negotiated that. Then the party will meet. We'll hold a special conference. And that decision will then be made by the party. And Jeremy will respect the decision of the party and implement whatever comes out of that referendum. So He'll, does it not matter whether he wants to stay or leave then? Well, I think it's important that what he does is he's a prime minister who's willing to bring the party, the country together, as he's done the party. It's a matter that we need a consensus builder in government now, and that's exactly what Jeremy will be. What's your view uh, on leaving or remaining just personally? Well, we'll see what comes back to the EU. I've always said I can't see a better deal than remain, but let's see what comes back. We'll put it to the people, then we'll implement what the British people decide. And I think that's the only way, the only way we'll be able to get people back together again. Now, in your speech today, you talked about companies uh, sharing the wealth, as it were, with, with the rest of the people. I think a lot of people would agree with what you had to say. Um, but perhaps the methods by which you would make that happen might be questionable in terms of your, your words, which would be that you would require companies to hand over a portion of their shares. Well, we've, we've been arguing for a long time in this country that we need a stakeholder economy where... Everyone has a stake in the, in the economy and has a stake in their local company that they work. And one of the ways of doing that is, well, transferring a small number of shares to the workers themselves. And what we've said is that we want to set up what we call an inclusive ownership fund where 1% of the shares of a company a year for 10 years are transferred across into collective ownership by those workers. Now, everything we've heard about employee ownership and employee involvement and stakeholder involvement is so that one longer-term decision-making takes place and at the same time you have increases in productivity. So that's exactly what this proposal is all about. In terms of the polling at the moment, um, it's always very interesting to look at polls before elections because depending on who's uh, winning them, you, people will say, well, they're not important or they, they are unimportant. What I think is interesting at the moment is the polling shows the Conservative Party to be ahead of Labour from anywhere from 17 points to 6 points. But people are now saying the trend is different from the last time around uh, when you uh, did so well to catch up to Theresa May because the, the trend is showing that actually Labour's not catching the Tories at the moment? Well, if you look at what happened last time, it was only when our manifesto was produced 
and we were well into the campaign that actually the trend picked up speed. And the trend at the moment is moving towards us, and that's exactly as it was in 2017. And actually, you know, even towards the end, the polls still got it wrong. For on the day, everyone was shocked and surprised, not us, but everyone else was shocked and surprised at just how well we did, and that's exactly... I think what will you'll see this time around. Well, it's saying this time around that it's not actually moving towards you, but we won't we won't dwell on that because we haven't got for very long. What about all those uh, constituencies, uh, particularly up in the north of England, where Labour heartlands uh, voted to leave the European Union, and an awful lot of uh, voters are disappointed uh, with Labour's stance on Brexit and may well vote for the Brexit Party. Well, I think also what you'll find in those constituencies, although Brexit is a big issue, the other issues are equally salient, and that is about education and health and investment in policing and what's happening on their streets, but also the overriding issue of the existential threat of climate change. And on the doorstep, what we're finding is, yes, of course, people, some people raise Brexit, but people are interested in all those other issues as well. And that's, I think, where Labour are demonstrating that when we can go into government, we can actually tackle those issues. So again, if you remember in the last general election, we were 24 points behind in the polls when that election started. And um, I think if the campaign had gone on another week, we'd be in government now. But I think you'll see in these coming weeks in the run-up to the general election, as more and more people get registered and more and more people start addressing the real issues of this campaign around NHS and education, as well as Brexit, I think you'll see that we're in line with the Labour government. The problem with the business um, advice that you're giving out, though, of course, is the Labour Party itself made a loss of 655,000 last year, lost quite a lot of uh, uh, subscribers, about 100,000 in the previous year, supposedly down to people not liking Jeremy Corbyn. How are you going to make that money back? Well, it's interesting. We're picking up thousands of members in the, uh, every week at the moment. Um, I think two weeks ago, I think we had 5,000 new members, 3,000. We're picking up members hand over fist at the moment. So on that basis, uh, we have a strong party, the largest party in Western Europe. On um, that basis, I think we're in a good position, both financially, but also in terms of the election campaign itself. We're on the doorsteps right the way across the country, arguing our case, and I believe persuasively convincing people that Labour needs to be in government. One final question for you, uh, John. What do you think Prince Andrew should do? Do you think he should go and cooperate with the US authorities? I think he should. I think he should cooperate with all the relevant agencies to ensure that the victims of Epstein and others get justice. And I think my advice to him was to do that, of course. Thank you very much indeed. John McDonnell, Shadow Chancellor uh, of the Exchequer, and talking on behalf of the Labour Party. Tonight, of course, uh, the Labour Party will take on the Tories uh, in the first big TV debate. Jeremy Corbyn versus Boris Johnson. Uh, it's going to be a belter, I think. We're going to be talking about it a lot tomorrow, of course. Uh, coming up, though, we'll take some more of your calls. 0344 499 1000. John McDonnell, Shadow Chancellor and Labour candidate for Hayes and Harlington. Amongst other candidates there, of course, Christian People's Alliance, Chika Amadi, Wayne Bridges from the Conservative Party, Christine West from the Green Party, Alex Cunliffe from the Liberal Democrats and Harry Bopari from the Brexit Party. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. They play some bad music on this station, don't they? 
Goodness gracious me, I'll tell you what. Uh, we do, however, put out the playlist at the end of the show, which people seem to like. Mark Gale is in charge, and I know that sometimes he chooses bad music deliberately just to annoy me, but that's okay. Uh, I don't mind that. We've had a fantastic show again today. Lots of you have said some wonderful things. Many of you have had some great opinions, and we'll take some more of those uh, tomorrow. We might even squeeze a couple in before the end of this show. But right now, we're going to take uh, some time out to talk to Nadia Essex, who is a dating expert, of course, mum-to-be, uh, because I don't know what she's going to say about this, but apparently bad grammar spells disaster if you're trying to go out with somebody and you're trying to lure them into your world. Nadia, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Now, I often get accused of being the grammar police on Twitter because I do like to point out when people have made a mistake and got something wrong, uh, particularly if they're having a go at me. You know, I'm a bit more forgiving if they're being nice. But basically, I do get annoyed by people who use bad grammar. I mean, same. This is why I like you, Mike, because we're exactly the same. <laughs> and when it comes to dating, if you, for me, if you can't even be bothered to speak in full sentences with the correct spelling and grammar, and you're that level of lazy, uh, there's no, I'm out. Because... Where do you if you're if you're so lazy you can't speak in a full sentence and use proper grammar, then where does it stop? Do you brush your teeth every day? Do you wash yourself properly? Do you have good personal hygiene? Like laziness, it's the epitome of laziness. Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? So you're going to say to me that if somebody's lazy about the way they they write or speak, then that might be an indication of something. I think it is an indication of something. I think if if you're on a if you're in terms of dating. If you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, especially over text message, and you cannot be bothered to check that what you're saying is correct, then what, you know, it's insulting. Well, it is. And also, if, if, if they're sent... I mean, the trouble is, so many people, I think, and, and I've been guilty of this, I suppose, in the past, you're doing it on the run all the time, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're like everybody's got their phones going all the time. You can't wait till you get off the train. You have to just send it now. You have to send it while you're going up on the escalator. You know, you have to send it before you get into the car. It's like nobody has any time anymore. Well, I still find the time to speak in full, proper, grammatical, correct sentences. What a woman. Of course! I mean, like, yeah, I just we're not going to get on. If you if you speak to me in text talk and you want to have a date with me, trust me, we're not going to get on cuz I don't think that's appropriate. What you say to your mate is different yeah. to if you're trying to woo me and if you're trying to date me like that yeah, we just we don't have the same values. <laughs> no. And what about did you not fear though that you might be being a bit discriminatory because you're basically sort of ruling out anyone who might not have had perhaps the greatest education and, and, you know, they might not know how good their grammar should be. Oh, I mean, you know, in the world of autocorrect, Google, and, you know, we have something like 600,000 words in the English dictionary, that there is no excuse. You know, you do not have to have a great education to be able to speak in proper sentences yes. without text talk. You do not have to have a good education to make the effort to make sure what you're saying is is spelled correctly. It's just, it's, 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 it's for me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And you, you, you have a tick, I have a tick box when I'm dating of what things, are we morally compatible? Are we mm. aesthetically compatible? And 
you know, speaking and grammar and connection and language is, is an important part of it. So, what about emojis? Because, I mean, nowadays we're learning that people are now studying emojis. What about emoji use? How, how are you feeling about that? I'm not mad at the use of emojis, but you have to be so careful with them. I don't like an emoji in replace of conversation. No. But I do like an emoji, for example, if you're writing something and it's supposed to be funny, but you know it's close to the bone, put a little laughing face so that I know that the, the tone is sarcasm. Yes. <laughs> that, so I'm not mad. You've got to... You've got to calm down with the emojis. No more than two <laughs> emojis per message. Yes, and no, I think that's... man a... to woman, you know, you've got to say that. Any, any man that sends you a load of emojis, I just find weird. Yeah, that is a bit odd. What about the guys that go the other way? Like, imagine what sort of a message you'd get from somebody like John Burko, you know, who's constantly using more complicated words than he needs to, constantly trying to impress you by saying something that doesn't have to be quite so, you know, sort of, I don't know, uh, flowery in terms of the way that he's saying it? I I mean, he's probably a bad example because I think he's an awful human being. <laughs> an absolute traitor. Um, but if somebody was like that, I actually would find it quite... It depends. If they were doing it in a sort of me melodic, kind of yeah. fun, tongue-in-cheeky way, I appreciate it. But if you're doing it to try and be patronising and you just use a load of words for the sake of trying to sound educated. Yeah. Again, we're not going to get on because I just think that's a narcissistic trait that I'm I don't I'm not down with. But I love it, you know, I used to work with Tom Reed Wilson from Slebgating, who is a wordsmith. Yes. And he is fantastic and he he talks in these wonderful language that I know nothing about. But it's just it's beautiful to listen to and I find it endearing. But it again it's tone, you know, are you trying to trying to patronise me or are you trying to woo me? Yeah, and, and, and yeah, sometimes big words are fun, but sometimes they are, as you say, a bit pretentious. I'm a couple of uh, people telling me that red lines for them, when people say could of or should of instead of could have. Yeah, I mean, it, that I kind of understand because it's, it's something that it, it's annoying, but it's, it's a niggle. But there's levels, isn't there? Like, I can't... Um, it, it's... Well, a lot of people do it, and I've actually uh, seen people telling me uh, who have been to journalism school that actually in journalism school they said that's a, a, a perfectly permissible usage, which it isn't, as far as I'm concerned. It's really? Wrong. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it just, it's a niggle that annoys me, and, I, and, it's, and if I spot it, it's a red flag right. and something that then I'm aware of. So, you know, it, yeah, again, it's just basic. It is basic fundamental spelling and grammar that it doesn't matter if you've had a good or a bad education you we do all get taught it you know it, we do so and if you don't get taught it you can learn like read a book go on google use autocorrect yeah like, educate yourself get a dictionary not, get a dictionary i mean you've got you've got a dictionary on your phone you know it's not it's not something that nowadays it's you know understandable makes a bit of extra effort to, to make a good sort of first impression. Yeah. I think that's perfectly good advice, Nadia. Thank you very much indeed. Nadia Essex, dating expert, uh, telling you the way it is. Don't be lazy. Don't be sloppy. Uh, don't say things uh, in text speak. Use the English language properly and you might get a date. Let's talk to JW, who's in Evesham. Hello, JW. 
Oh, Miss Graham, hey, first of all, thank you for all the great work you've been doing. I know it's an underappreciated <laughs> job, but hey, you're Listen, doing it well. The fact that people ring in and talk to me is enough appreciation for me, so thank you for doing that. Okay. Uh, my complaint is this lady you've just had on, yes. Nadia. Sure, she means well, but you know, what if this person has a speech impediment or a learning disability? Right. You well, know, I mean, I, I have, guess a I speech... Have a 14-year-old... Go on. Also, I have a 14-year-old girl who's, who's habit of pronouncing... She's perfectly healthy. You know, sometimes I question her mentality, but teenager girl. But, right. you know, instead of saying water, water. You know, like... Water. Oh. Well, water. Well, that's, well, that's lady, just cockney, isn't it? Yeah, this lady here, though, reminds me... A few years ago, I was on a dating site because I'm a single dad, and I do have three girls I was raising. And I, she reminds me of a lady here in Worcestershire who claim that any guy who says he's a single dad is a liar and a cheat. You really? Know, why, I don't know why she makes me think that. I, I don't know why she would make you think that either. But I guess, I mean, it's the old adage again, isn't it, J.W.? I mean, it depends, doesn't it, oh, yeah. on the person. I mean, if there's a very beautiful woman uh, that you want to date and she wants to date you and she sends you a, a, a grammatically incorrect text, you're not going to go, no thanks, are you? No, I won't. I, I, I tend to <laughs> overlook that thing, but I, I, some people have called me the grammar police myself. But, well, yeah. there you go. And how's that but, working out for you? Yeah, I, I, I pay no mind to it. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, JW, listen, thank you for calling you. Got another quick uh, call to squeeze in, so I'm going to let you go. Paul's in Islington. Hi, Paul. Hey, Mike. How you doing, mate? Very well, sir. What can I do for you? She finished her sentence with, I mean, like. Now, she's going to come on. If you're going to be the grammatical police, that's fine. But you can't have an error. Well, you could say that's a... But, but hang on. Could you not say that's an idiom, though? But, <laughs> not, there you go. Not in, the con not in the context of what she was, how she was putting it, no. Well, I don't she know. No, but no, it, has to be, it, has, it has to be consistency there with what she's saying. And to finish it with, I mean, like. I mean, I've looked up in the Oxford... English, and I, I can't find it. Um, so, and that's the whole point, isn't it, about being grammatically fluid and correct, and she certainly wasn't. Now, I'm dyslexic, so, and I don't think men really care when we're sending a text that much, whether we've yeah, but maybe you know, it's Dr. maybe it's working. But, 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 it's but, not that important to us. Well, no, but you is know? it important to the people you're sending the message to, though, maybe? Uh, well, I think it's important for her because she said, if I'm dating men, so that tells me she's single. And I think she's probably going to be single for a long time with that type you're of, making a lot of the, You're making a lot of judgments here, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Paul. A lot of well, judgments. No, I, I'm on dating sites, and, and I get it a lot from women. It's almost like, really? Are you going to be that anal about something? Really? It bothers you that much? Uh -huh. Whether somebody hasn't finished off... You know, uh, well, I suppose what we—I don't, I don't think we're saying that it would rule something out. It's just that it would be a factor that would mitigate against you. That's all. I don't want anything to do with that person. I mean, crikey, right. if that's going to be a precursor for what they're going to be like in a relationship, <laughs> stay away. <laughs> Fair enough. Well said, Paul. I can tell you that Nadia is a, a fine woman. Uh, she's about to have a baby, I think, soon. So um, I don't think she is single, actually. But that's another story. Uh, we will ask her the next time she comes on. But thank you to all of you uh, for your calls. This is, of course, the Independent Republican Micro. And we will be back tomorrow at 10 after the big debate tonight. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.